Hello and welcome to another episode of From Africa to the World with me, Yavi Madre. He is not just one of the world's leading executive coaches, working with some of Fortune 500's top CEOs and their executive teams, but he has also been chairman, CEO, and MD of Blue Chip Businesses. In 2004, he was awarded the member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, or MBE as we know it, from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II for outstanding service to the business community. I speak of none other than Rene Cariel, who specializes in delivering unforgettable and unmissable leadership sessions that are considered powerful, powerful performances, showing precisely how contemporary inspired leadership can electrify an audience through a powerful and authentic emotional connection. Rene draws much from his own unique experiences on the boards of some of the biggest international organizations in the world, from Marks and Spencer and Pepsi to IPC Media and the Inland Revenue. Whilst he is a much acclaimed visiting professor at the Distinguished Cass Business School in London and lecturing on their MSc in management, Rene maintains he is no academic. His book Spike, a personal favorite of mine, is about what is called the strengths-based revolution. Spike is a journey of self-discovery. It will change your views of yourself and your teams. Open quote, my experience of working with some of the world's best leaders of this generation, from Prime Minister David Cameron, Sir Richard Branson, Nelson Mandela, and many others, informs me that none of them are flawless or are all-rounders, but they all tend to know two or three of their spikes and have taken the time and focus to fine-tune them to near Olympian standards. Close quotes. Rene shares with us today his views of the world's leadership and the magic and simplicity of the compelling Spike philosophy. In his world of Spike, there are no losers anymore. Everyone has something that they are truly great at. The new world order is struggling to deal with constant uncertainty, and Rene provides a compelling approach to the future that is built on managing a little less and leading a little more. We have all been engaged in the BLM movement or Black Lives Matter narrative. Rene has taken BLM into corporates to incorporate action into words and effecting change on the ground. In allyship, he introduces a powerful new concept for some businesses. After the tragic murder of George Floyd, many people have embraced allyship and this has helped create an irresistible force for change. In order to stop appeasing those that discriminate against us, we need the strength, commitment, and influence of our allies. In this same line of conversation, Rene and I explore the future of leadership, where collaboration is the new normal and women making their mark in the leadership sphere. From one of your biggest fans who refers to you as the leadership grandmaster, Mr. Rene Carroll, it gives me the greatest pleasure to welcome you today. So let's get right into it. So you have um, written books. You have worked with some of the greatest leaders of our of our current generation, our previous generations, and our current time. Um, I know you as a leadership grandmaster, or that's how we speak about you. Um, there's the spike philosophy and all of those kind of things. So today, I want you to take us through um, from your perspective in terms of what do you what are your views in general um, around leadership and especially what's happening in the world right now where it feels like the world is turned upside down? 
So look, first first and foremost, it's it's a real privilege to be here on, on the podcast with you. And as you know, having been born in Gambia, West Africa, far too many years ago, Africa is in my soul, in my blood, and in my heart. And whilst I've grown, spent most of my life living here in London, in the UK, I like to think that I think like a Londoner, I feel like an African. And I've got those two things buzzing around me all the time, sometimes competing, sometimes conflicting, but I like to think it gives me a competitive advantage. So, and as I've traveled in and out of Africa for the last 25 years, I've been privileged enough to coach chief executives, heads of state all around Africa. And I recently, last year, I finished a three-year stint coaching the president of the African Development Bank out of Abidjan in Ivory Coast. But always in and out of Africa, in and out of South Africa. And I suppose let's, where I'll start today, leadership is more essential today than it's ever been before. And the bit I would remark on is to say that if we look at the global pandemic, the coronavirus, COVID-19, there is no nation being led by a woman that's handling it badly. The top 15 nations that are doing really badly are all led by alpha males. There's a lesson here. And the lesson is empathy. The ability to empathize with those around you, to walk in someone else's shoes, to feel what they're feeling, to park your ego at the door, to understand that it's not about you, it's about your nation, it's about your citizens. And as I always say, the biggest myth in Western developed society is that leaders are only at the top of the organization. It's a nonsense. Leaders are everywhere. And everyone who's on this, who listens to this podcast can be a leader if they choose to be. But today, the demands on that leader is very, very different. As I travel across Africa, we have two issues that we need to address and address quickly. And this goes for business. It goes for heads of state. It goes for just about everywhere. The best leaders in the world know when to leave. Our African dilemma is our leaders do not know when to leave. If you look at most of our nations, the leaders have been around for far too long. If you look at our big companies, the leaders have been around for far too long. We're never giving a chance to the next generation. This is a moment for the next generation. And if I can share with you the the sort of leaders that doesn't work anymore, the leadership style that does not work anymore. It's the hierarchy. It's the leader who sits at the very top of the hierarchy that needs to initiate every activity, solve every problem, delegate every task. They get involved, nothing happens without their say-so. That rather autocratic style, that's long gone. There's no room for that anymore. Our world is too fast moving, too complex, and the markets are too unforgiving for any one person to be able to call all the shots on their own anymore. When we say leadership, we mean the leadership team. And it's having a leader who doesn't need to be in charge all the time. They're not the boss. They create environments where everyone can flourish. They facilitate things so every voice is heard. It's no longer about one person, it's the team. If I go back to why women are handling the, 
pandemic better than men is because they are team players. They're not afraid to say that they don't know. They'll consult the experts. They'll go around their team to get the best opinions, the best decisions. They're a little bit cautious. They're not gung-ho. They don't just ignore all the advice, as we've seen from the likes of our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Bolsonaro in Brazil, Erdogan in Turkey, and of course, Donald Trump in America. There's room for a different sort of leader. Oh, I'm asked every time that, what's the model of leadership that you think works today? And this is sort of, I epitomize it in my recent book, Spike. The best sort of leader for today, think about mothers at home. Think about that natural empathy, the natural visibility, the care, the support, the knowing that every one of their charges, be it grand, granddad, be it husband, son, daughter, aunt, niece, nephew, somehow mothers at home know precisely when to coax, when to cajole, when to put boundaries, when to have sanctions, when to confront, when to raise their voice, when enough is enough. But everybody respects them. Their voice is always heard. They hear everyone else's voice. They're empathetic. They care. They support. They challenge. That's the new age leader for today. So, Mr. Carriol, if we have to look at, and, and you touched on, on so many things, um, uh, I'm, I feel like a kid in a candy store, but let's, let's start with, with the la almost the last thing that you said about, you know, the spike philosophy. Um, for those of the audience members that don't know what the spike philosophy is, could you unpack it for us very quickly? And obviously with your, from your perspective also. So everyone who's been to school or been to work has had the end of term report or the performance appraisal where they sit with their boss and they're told how they've done over the previous year or the teacher shares with your parents how they've done over the previous year. And they tend to go something like this. Here are the two or three outstanding strengths you've got. You're very good at these. Can we park those? Can we look at the 124 things you're not so good at, which many years ago we used to call weaknesses. Then there were areas for development. Then there were areas for improvement. Today we call them limitations. In fact, there's 124 of these. So over the next 12 months, we're going to put together a personal development plan, and you're going to focus on all the things you're not so good at and try and raise them to Olympian standard. You know that's not going to happen. And you know you're not going to enjoy yourself coming in every day to work on the things you're really not so good at. What if we turned it on its head? And this is the spike philosophy. No one is brilliant at everything. It's not possible. It's not feasible. Let's not even try it. But everyone is blessed with a gift, with a spike, something they're not just good at, they're great at, they're brilliant at. That's your spike. And for every one of us, it might be something different. Some of us are blessed to have two or three of them. Three things we're absolutely outstanding at. If we can uncover, discover what those three things are, that's the route to the brilliant career. And there's this wonderful, very simple, virtuous spike circle. The things I tend to be really good at are the things I tend to enjoy doing. The things I tend to enjoy doing are the things I tend to be really good at. If we can find what our spikes are, we build our careers around our spikes, do a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. And so therefore, let's try and find out what our spikes are. And to me, step number one, ask a loved one. Don't ask a work colleague. Don't ask your management. 
Ask someone who's got unconditional love for you who wants to see you succeed. A brother, a sister, husband, wife, mum, dad, son, daughter. Someone who so wants you to succeed. They're not going to use business language. And I'm not talking about applied learning. It's not chemistry, geography, maths, marketing, financials. It's nothing to do with that. They're going to say things like, you're always there for me. You're generous. You have eyes in the back of your head. You anticipate everything. You're a great communicator. Whatever that feedback is, ask a few people with unconditional love for you, cluster them, and start working on them. You would, the trick is not just to be really good at them, but to be great at them, to be Olympian standard. So the standout strengths that everyone wants to hire you for those strengths, those spikes, they become the touchstone for your future career. Everyone is brilliant at something. When we look at, um, you know, you were speaking about the, the successful countries or the countries that have had much success in being able to manage um, the global pandemic um, and them being women. When we look at, let's take a world beyond COVID, um, will this, do you think that this kind of leadership will play itself out? Will it, will it you know, become more complex or will it have its time only from a, a crisis pandemic perspective? It was happening before the crisis. It's happening during the crisis. It'll happen post-crisis. This sort of alpha male, oh, the life and soul of the party, out on the white charger, I'm driving everything, calling every shot, leading from the front. Those days are long gone. That's a recipe for failure. We've seen far too much of it on the African continent. The autocratic, I know everything, nothing happens without my say. Those days are long gone. Nowadays, we see the leader is part of a fabulous team. And that team is made up of people who... So I've been lucky enough to work with some of the best leaders on the planet. I've yet to meet an all-rounder. I've yet to meet one that's yeah. brilliant at everything. The ones that I... The very, very best ones, they're good at two or three things only. They're spikes. But what they cleverly do is build a team around them that compensate for the things they're not so good at. It's no longer feasible for one person to call all the shots. It's totally feasible for the team to call the shots. So we don't look for the best person for the job. We look for the best person for the team. Collaboration is the new leadership. The leader needs to be the chief collaborator, the person that brings everyone together. And we say the strength of the pack is the wolf. The strength of the wolf is the pack. No room for lone wolves. How committed are we to each other's success? If you're not fully committed to the success of everyone else in the team, you have no place in the team. You may be the best salesperson in the world, but if you're a loner and you only think about yourself, there is no place for you in the team. Great teams win trophies, not great players. It's great teams. And we've got to ensure we've got leaders who are brilliant at building teams, creating an environment where they can flourish, ensuring they have the right resources, give them the right backing, give them the right support, challenge them as appropriately, but give them something to believe in and some something to belong to. This is the new leadership. I love, like, I love the, the, the analogy around collaboration because from a, from a future perspective, you can actually almost see it playing out. It's 
becomes very tangible, um, yet some people can't see it. Um, based on that, so so let's talk about you know from a collaboration perspective. What does what so there's leadership, collaborative leadership, teamwork, and all of these dynamics that play out. What does the future of work and and life then look like? So I call it inclusive leadership. Everybody in, nobody out. Believe in everyone. There is a place for everyone. And remember what I said before at the start, that everyone can be a leader if they choose to be. The more leaders you have in your environment, in your place of work, in your organization, the more able you are to cope with transformational times, extraordinary times. We need managers, of course we do. Managers, managers are taught, they're trained. I lecture at the Cass Business School in London, I lecture on the MSc in management. We train managers. When it comes to management, one size fits all. It's if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. It's your KPIs, your tasks, your, your strategies. It's all the things that if you don't put them in place, measure them and ensure they happen, you'll go to business tomorrow. But they're great for linear times, incremental times. In times of radical change, we need the management, and I call that the hardware. We can touch management, we think management, we, but it's not leadership. Leadership is vision, people, teams, culture. Vision, people, teams, culture. We feel management. We, sorry, we feel leadership. Management, IQ, leadership, EQ. We feel it. We think leadership. We think management. We feel leadership. And I, the bit that we should focus on for the rest of our conversation is this leadership gene. And I'm seeing it in far too much of our older generation across Africa, very very well educated and they're trained managers. I'm not seeing the leadership. I'm not seeing the EQ. I'm not seeing the empathy. There's a generation coming through where it comes more naturally to. And empathy, I, I spoke before, whilst there are so many nations doing well-being, again, in the pandemic, led by women, it's not just about gender. Men can do it as well. But it's EQ. Not everyone remembers everything you've said, but everyone remembers how you made them feel. That's the EQ, the empathy. And leaders today need to be able to empathize with all those around them and build an environment where it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your faith. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter what disabilities you may have. There's place for, places for everyone. This is the inclusive leadership of today and tomorrow. And it's happening. We can see it. But it's largely in a new generation. And with the big, since the tragedy of George Floyd, the tragic murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen this drive for inclusivity. And what I'm seeing across Europe is it's less the differences of race, it's more the differences of generation. There's an older generation that's struggling to embrace this. And there's a younger generation that just get it. And I wonder as we come out of the pandemic, whether experience is a little overrated. We need more innovation, we need more inspiration, we need people who can think a little differently and behave a, a lot differently. I wonder whether it's time to start thinking about a different generation being the leaders. So I want to I want to I want to look back on that. 
and, and you speak about, you know, leadership being vision, people, teams, and culture, and, and you think management and you feel leadership. You know, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not young, <laughs> but I'm not older from the older generation either. And you are taught, or I was taught, I come from the banking sector and those kind of environments where you are taught that feelings and emotions have no place at the boardroom table. And we are seeing that that is being slowly undone in terms of the focus on EQ, et cetera, et cetera. How long do you think it is going to take for us not to become all touchy-feely, but to be more inclined to deal more on an EQ level? And I'm not just speaking about actual leaders. I'm speaking about leaders you know, around us every day, the people that we work with. How long do you think that that's going to take where that that shift is going to, there's going to be more of that than there is of the other. In South Africa, longer than most. Longer than most. I, I, I don't think I've been to any nation, forget Africa, around the world, which is so steeped in management. And do you know why? Lack of trust. Lack of trust. There is no trust. So, you know, and I, I said this before, I travel to South Africa a lot. So one of my very good friends, a couple of my friends, because I've worked with a lot of the leaders in finance and in banking, a lot of them were expats and they lived in Danefern. And I used to find myself traveling around to Danefern on a regular basis. I'd come up to the gate. I'd been there probably about 20 times in the previous week. I knew all the security. I knew all the doormen. They knew me as Rene, and I knew them by their first names. And when I'd come up, I'd say, hi, Rene, how are things going? Then they'd still say, Mr. Carroll, can I have your telephone number, can I have your registration number, even though they knew me implicitly. They had to write it down. Otherwise, they would be in trouble. They'd write everything down. They'd phone through to who I was coming to visit, and it'd be writing sheets and sheets of paper that no one would ever look at. Why? A lack of trust. Until we break that lack of trust, there'll only be management. What leadership is built around is trust. And it's so important that leaders give trust. If no one in the organization is trusted, you've got to write everything down. You've got to have your security pass. You've got to, you've got to. And I'm going to come back and check on you. You're not going to get to leadership. You're only going to stick at management. And the gear lever, unfortunately, in most South African organizations, it's stuck in management. So when you say to me, when are we going to move to this more empathetic, EQ-driven, the rest of the world is moving really quickly. South Africa is being left far behind. So how do we do that? How do we, it's not a quick fix, I get that. How, how do we shift? How do we, how do we fix that? Uh, I, how, I, how do we turn that on its head? I spent some time working in APSA with Maria Ramos when she was the group chief executive there. And I was at the same time, I was coaching Maria. I was coaching Auntie Jenkins, who was chief executive of Barclays, the mother, the mother bank in London and ABSA was um, a subsidiary of, of Barclays. It was Barclays Africa at the time actually and, um, and I remember we were trying to introduce a different sort of leadership into what is ABSA today, what was Barclays Africa then. When we did it in Ghana it went down fabulously. Everybody got it. The leaders were more hands-off, they moved from delegation to empowerment they shared the vision where they wanted to be and they empowered their people to deliver. 
We did it in Uganda, Barclays Uganda. It worked. Barclays Kenya, loved it. Flying. Zim, flying. Bots, flying. South Africa, wow. This is cultural. There's been a lack of trust for years and years and years. It's going to take some time. It will take at least a generation to change. With, with, with some of the younger leaders, though, especially those who had worked abroad, they'd come in and they would get to this. There was these pockets of resistance where braver, more courageous leaders. And you know what we say? Good leaders create followers. Great leaders create leaders. The question I get asked more than any other, are leaders born or are leaders made? I put it to you, neither. Leaders are found. And in every organization, every business, there are many leaders already, but you've got to go and find them. And the big clue is, look for those who can influence and persuade without authority. It's not about authority. It's not about your job title. It's not about your rank. It's can you influence or persuade without authority? And there's a simple test here. If you're going to have that social evening, that social night out for many people in the organization, there are some people when they go and try and organize it, hardly anyone turns up. There are some people when they go to organize it, nearly everyone turns up. They're your leaders. And they may work in the security department. They may work in catering. They may be a receptionist. Doesn't matter. They're leaders. And in times of big change, though, they're vital because they're the ones who are going to influence and persuade the rest of the organization to change. But you've got to give them trust. You've got to empower them. You've got to give them decision rights. You've got to protect them. You've got to look after them. You've got to grow them. You've got to mentor them. All the things I've just mentioned, South Africa is a little bit off the pace. It's changing. There's a generation that's coming through. And it's interesting because when I say generation, it's not just about age, it's mindset. There are some people who are senior citizens, but they have that mindset. But the mindset is that we're in this thing together. We're stronger together. I'll give you my trust. I'm not waiting for you to earn it. We call it extended trust. I'm going to trust you. You may not work out. You may let me down, but 80, 20 rule, 80% of you, when I give you my trust, you'll respond in the appropriate way. I empower you. I trust you. Oh!